Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, January 5th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Beantown Athletics is also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back and make sure you tell them I sent you. Once again, the website is BeantownAthletics.com. So, special guest for you today, uh, Mike Hazen, the Boston Red Sox Senior Vice President and General Manager. Mike Hazen joined me over the phone this morning. Uh, I talked to him, had a great conversation with him about everything that happened this winter with this team, the moves they made, the Kimbrel deal, uh, the David Price signing. Uh, Also got an update on Hanley Ramirez and even Christian Vasquez, who I asked him about. So a nice little conversation with Mike Hazen this morning over the phone. I'm going to play that for you right now. Stick around afterwards because I will get into some football stuff. As you know, we got the playoffs beginning on Saturday, the wild card round here locally in New England. The Patriots have a first round bye. They are the number two seed. Uh, But there is some news that is out there today, not just with regards to playoff injuries, but also some coaching changes and some moves that organizations made to keep some coaches around. So I'm going to react to all of that and more after I play you my conversation once again with Boston Red Sox Senior Vice President and General Manager Mike Hazen. He is the first guest of 2016 on the Danny Picard Show. So here's the audio of that. Stick around afterwards. Enjoy. All right, joining me over the phone right now is Boston Red Sox Senior Vice President and General Manager Mike Hazen. Mike, Happy New Year. How you doing today? Hey, Danny. How you doing? Good I'm to doing. Be here. I'm doing good. Uh, listen, the last couple months, uh, what's this been like for you since the official promotion in September? I mean, has it been business as usual since you've been in this organization, this Red Sox organization, since 2006? Or has there been a little bit more excitement? I mean, how would you describe the last three months as the GM of the Red Sox? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty much business as usual. Uh, certainly, we've been through our ups and downs since 2006. a long time ago now. Um, you know, and a lot has happened in that in that time span. Obviously, a couple World Series and a few last place finishes. And, you know, when you kind of swing the pendulum like that, uh, things happen and changes. And, you know, been here with Theo, been here with Ben. Um, and a lot of great times with those guys. And I think we've accomplished quite a bit and, and hopefully put the organization from a young player perspective on a pretty good footing. Uh, obviously, since Dave's come on uh, a few months ago, um, you know, we've made a lot of changes with regard to, you know, some personnel moves um, on the player side. Mm. I think Dave has inherited a lot of people and good people in here, our scouting player development guys, guys that have done a lot of good work uh, in bringing talent into the organization. And I think he's embraced that, which has been good. I think it's been good for, for the people in here, um, you know, and he's we're, we're looking to hit the ground running going into next season. And I think, like I said, with some of the changes uh, from a player standpoint that have been made, we're excited about the team that's coming out there. And, uh, yeah, you made a couple huge moves so far this winter. Uh, the Craig Kimbrell deal sort of got the ball rolling. That trade, you sent four prospects to San Diego. 
Uh, look, Mike, I'm on the record saying I love the move. I still feel that way. But these prospects uh, that you gave up, I mean, those are kind of your guys, right, more than they were uh, Dave Dombrowski's guys. How hesitant were you to move someone like, let's say, Emmanuel Margot, who was one of your top prospects? How hesitant were you to move someone like that, a kid like that, in that deal or in any deal at all? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, look, I, I think number one, no matter who was here, whether it was Ben, Theo, myself, uh, Amiel Sade, who drafted a lot of these guys, Mike Rickard, um, Eddie Romero, who signed the Latin American guys, you know, you, you can never get too attached to the players that are in your minor league system. Uh, we love those guys. We hope to, you know, you always have that ideal scenario of growing a, a homegrown team, a completely homegrown team, but mm. that, that's not realistic, and it doesn't win your World Series. It, those guys definitely are a part of those World Series championship teams and begin to develop the, the continuity that you can have year over year. Guys like Pedroia and Uke and, and uh, Bard and Ellsbury and, and players that we've had here, Johnny Lester that we had here for a long time. You know, those guys become the foundation of those teams, but you're always going to have to add. You're always going to have to fill holes. You're always going to have to increase your talent level at the major league level. And so you're going to have to give up players when you make trades. And, you know, I think, yeah, you know, there were, there were two sides to that trade. There were people that came down and said, hey, we love Craig Kimbrell. You got Craig Kimbrell. It doesn't really matter what you gave up for him. And then there are guys on the other side that said, look, that's a lot to give up for, for Craig Kimbrell. And, you know, you, you have to balance those things in any decision that you make. I think the number one thing is, though, when we identified the guys going into the offseason that we wanted to go after, Kimbrell was one of those guys, and we went and got that guy. And, you know, whether you, whatever you paid for that guy and, and within prospects or, or financially, you know, I, th- I still think at the end of the day when you're looking at your roster heading off into the season, you want to feel good about the players that you went and acquired, and, and he's one of those guys. And uh, I, you look at the relievers that were out there. You mentioned Kimbrell. You targeted him. Uh, you look at maybe someone like Araldis Chapman who is now with the Yankees. I mean, was there ever any interest in, in someone like that? Uh, we know the stories. The Dodgers maybe were involved, and then there was some uh, off-the-field stuff that came out about Chapman. But before all that, was there any interest in him early on in the offseason? I mean, you look at every available potential player that's out there. Um, you know, obviously a lot of good players out there. You know, but we really focused in on Craig um, from the get-go when we had our meetings back in uh, October, November. As a guy, you know, Frank Wren was somebody that had known Craig from the Atlanta days and, you know, really vouched for uh, what, what he would bring to our team, uh, what he would do in the back end. And, you know, we, we went after him and, and we got him, thankfully, because we liked him a lot. And, and like I said, it was one of those guys that we identified early um, and, and we're happy he's here. Uh, David Price, seven years, 217 mil. I, I love this deal as well. You mentioned identifying early. I mean, David Price being a free agent, Mike, he seemed, this seemed like a no-brainer to me. I mean, given your team's needs, was it as much of a no-brainer inside the front office with the Red Sox? Because I'm watching David Price. He goes to Toronto last year, and I'm saying to myself, you know, look, Red Sox need to go out and get this guy this winter. Did you know watching him down the stretch and how he dominated at the end for Toronto in the regular season, did you look at that and sort of know you were going to go hard after him and make him a priority this winter? I don't, I don't know if anything's a no-brainer in this business because you don't know what your uh, playing field's going to be when you go off into either free agency or trades. You know, you, you don't really know what the price tag's going to ultimately become based on the market or based on what other teams are asking for in trades. Uh, look, we've always liked David Price. We've had to watch him come in here time after time after time and, and, and battle us. And, and, you know, he's been on the plus side quite a few times against us. So, you know, look, we've always liked him. We've always felt like he was a top-of-the-rotation guy and true ace 
Um, certainly something that has eluded us over the last few years uh, since the, the breakup of the last club. Uh, and, and we felt like that was something that we needed to put at the top of the rotation. And, you know, we felt like that for a while. Um, you know, sometimes you have the opportunities to do those things. Sometimes you don't, depending on how the market is, is shifting on you and the players that are available. But, again, just like Kimbrell, he was one of those guys that we had identified early. Um, you know, I think from the standpoint that we felt most comfortable is, you know, when you go through those, processes of of breaking down players from a talent standpoint from a makeup standpoint from what they look like in the clubhouse etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, you know whenever David Price's name came up there was very little for us to really have to go chase in terms of checking on whether it was what he was like in a clubhouse the type of teammate he was what type of pitcher he was we had obviously scouted him extensively in the division he's been there forever um, you know we've watched him so many times so all those things seem to check off the boxes for us and and he really was an ideal guy for us to go after. And, and again, just like in the Kimbrell situation, we're kind of fortunate that he's here. Yeah, and I mean, if look, if there were any concerns about David Price, at least from the outside of the organization and people in this town, it was that his postseason numbers are not great. But, uh, you know, I kept telling people, don't Google David Price postseason stats. you got to actually watch him pitch. And when you go back to let's go to this past ALCS, I think the two starts that he had, what, games two and, and six, I think, he pitched very well. You know, a couple hiccups, I think, in game two. Uh, Gibbons, you know, took him out a little too late, in my opinion. And then in game six, he let up two early solo home runs, settled down nicely, and ended up dealing in that game. So you can't necessarily look at the numbers. So, I mean... At the end of the day, it clearly didn't – those postseason numbers didn't scare you guys away. And, and I guess my question is, why is that? And, and, again, not that I'm saying you should have been scared away, Mike, but you must have discussed this internally before opening up the checkbook. How were you able to get past that as you discussed something like that? Uh, very very quickly, very quickly. Um, you, you, you don't – I mean, it's very difficult to put a lot of stock in postseason numbers. i got to be honest with you. It's a, it's a short run of games – it's an environment that you pitch very rarely in. Uh, you know, we have to build a club for 162-plus the postseason. Mm. So there's, there's, you know, it's just as important to be able to get there as to run through the playoffs. Uh, it's not just about one starting pitcher. Yeah, sure, a starting pitcher like Bumgarner puts you on his back and he carries you through. Sure, that can happen. David Price is that same talent level and can do the same thing. It hasn't happened yet. It, we believe it's going to happen. Uh, it, the fact that it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean anything. You know, I mean, you get into one game in a game of baseball and the ball bounces off the bag the wrong way. You make one bad pitch that gets popped over the fence and you don't score any runs and you lose that game. I mean, those things are all going to happen in the game of baseball in, in one game. And to pin that all on a specific starting pitcher, I, just, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's the fair way to evaluate things. I think more impressive to me, to us, I think, is the fact that this guy's walked into this ballpark as a left-handed pitcher facing dominant right-handed lineups and had very good success. And against the Red Sox, against the Blue Jays, and then for the Blue Jays, and um, you know, against the Orioles, the number one home run park in baseball last year, you know, this guy's walked into these stadiums time after time after time and been successful. And to me, you know, that's something you're going to hang your hat on for 162 plus, And hopefully we do a good enough job of building a team around him when we get into the playoffs that support him, that score runs for him, that play defense for him, that that postseason record is going to change. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, you even mentioned it a few minutes ago. You got to get back to the playoffs first, right? I mean, if I'm in your shoes and that conversation comes up about postseason stats, I'd be sitting there going, well, wait a minute. I mean, we have to get to the postseason before we can worry <laughs> about somebody's postseason stats, right? right? 
Right. So um, yeah, we're not arguing luxuries over here. You know, <laughs> well, it's not that easy in the game of baseball to make the postseason. You know, there's very few teams that make the postseason, and if you get into the four or five hole, you're in trouble because you got one game to <laughs> to figure out if you're any good, and that doesn't work in the game of baseball in a lot of cases for just the way it's played. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly makes for an exciting postseason from a from the from the game's perspective. I get it, but if you're one of those teams in that game, that's you know that's a tough. You want to win your division. You know, you want to be able to say that. Uh, you're at least going to have a series where a pitcher, one of your best players, your best pitcher is going to have a chance to, you know, pitch twice. Maybe you have a chance if you clinch the division early enough that you can set up for the playoffs, which is a key thing. Um, all those things have to happen, and in order for that, those things to happen, you have to be good over 162, and that's what we're that's what we're building this club for. Speaking with Mike Hazen, Boston Red Sox Senior Vice President and General Manager. He joins me over the phone today on the Danny Picard Show. Uh, you know, we're talking about getting back to the postseason. When, you know, if you can get back to the postseason, Mike, which, which I expect you to do with some of the moves that you've made, you know, I go back to this past postseason. I guess I look at a blueprint around the league, and it's not just one top dog starter, you know, in your rotation. It's two. I mean, you, some of the final teams that were still kicking around – some of them at three. You know, you'll get the Mets. They, you could even make the argument they had four. Uh, so you need more than one. And I guess the way I look at this offseason for you guys is, okay, it's, you know, you did your job in the bullpen with Miller. You got David Price for your rotation. But I guess I look at it and think, could they add another one? And I guess now I ask, is there any interest or was there any interest in maybe trying to trade for a top-of-the-rotation pitcher in some type of deal this winter? Yeah, we examined all those things. Um, you know, the cost of starting pitching was extremely high on the trade market going into the offseason. Uh, again, sort of focusing us on David Price um, as, as a more viable alternative for what we needed to get done. You know, I would argue with you a little bit that, yeah, we can cherry pick the Mets and look at the way they're built, and uh-huh. they're certainly built. Everybody would love to have the starting rotation the Mets have, but. Yeah. You know, I'll contrast that with the Royals. Like, you can't make that argument with the Royals. And the Royals have been the best team in baseball over the last two years. I mean, they've been to the World Series once, and they won it a second time. And they weren't built that way. You know, starting pitching wasn't their strong suit necessarily going through an entire season. You know, they built it differently. They well, they went, I mean, defense. Mike, they went out and got had, Cueto, though. And to add – I know Ventura had a tough first half, but he bounced back in the second half. And, I mean, Ventura, Cueto, it's a pretty good one-two punch. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that David Price and Clay Buckles, when he's healthy, could, could match the performances of those two guys. I'm just, my point being is, mm. you're right. Like, that would be one way to build a club. Another way to build a club, more, more like what Kansas City did, was elite defense, good contact, and a tremendous bullpen. And certainly, they're, you know, their starting pitchers throw strikes, and they battle, and, they're, and they're, it's a solid starting pitching group. But I wouldn't put those compare those two clubs necessarily in that way and so my point being is like there are other ways to do this and you know one of the things that you got to do in the american league east to score runs we play in a lot of very offensive inflated ballparks baltimore toronto boston and the yankees and especially to right field you know you got to score a lot of runs in this division and so you need to have offense as well so and look you got to allocate some of your your talent and your resources to all those things and i think again why our young position player group hopefully will be so valuable to us is because as those guys grow, um, we hopefully will be able to bring back the caliber of offense we had in 2013 and prior to, um, you know, that can help sustain your starting pitching and your bullpen uh, through the course of a season. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and try to talk you into training for a starting pitcher, but I ha- while I have you on the phone, Mike, <laughs> I have to ask you about and get into your head as a, a GM as to what you thought of the 
of the Shelby Militrade, just just t- bringing it back to trade value, you know, market value of potential trades, because I- I'm wondering if, if that trade pissed other GMs off, because Arizona gave up a whole heck of a lot. I mean, they what they give up? Their number one overall pick from last year to go along with two other top prospects, and they get Shelby Miller. I like Shelby Miller. I like what Arizona's doing, signing Granky, getting Miller. But, I mean, they gave up a lot for Miller. That must have raised the asking price for some other clubs, like a Miami or an Oakland or a White Sox or whoever it may be. I mean, did that move? Did you look at that move as a GM and go, whoa, wait a minute, that's an awful lot. That's going to make it even more difficult for us to make a trade for a starting pitcher. No, I mean, we, we looked at the, the, the market for starting pitchers. The market was already high. It wasn't any, you know, we look at that trade. We look at other trades. Those, you know, it's, it's, two, it's two teams, um, you know, ha- uh, consummating a trade between them. You know, those things change because we have different players than the Diamondbacks have than the Braves have and to offer and to, and to trade for, mm-hmm. you know, the club we're going after. And I just don't think those things all have a huge impact. I mean, think, pe- everyone said we overpaid for Kimbrell. People said that Houston overpaid for Giles. Like maybe, you know, the trade environment right now, um, the, that pitching is extremely valuable. And, and as such, it's extremely expensive. And you see that on the free agent side of things and you see that on the trade side of things. And, you know, that's something you have to deal with. You can't, you know, you, we could sit out, we could wait and do nothing. Uh, but we chose not to on the free agent side of things. And, you know, you're always going to explore trades and you're always going to continue to ask and you're going to try to pursue things that you think are going to help make your club better. But if they're not there, they're not there. And, you know, Arizona thought, felt like they had to go get Shelby Miller, and good for them. And, and Atlanta is obviously operating, uh, doing other things, and I think they did pretty well in that trade. So, you know, we'll see what happens at the end of next season, who actually, you know, came out on top there or, or for seasons to come. But, you know, that doesn't really have an impact on us. All right, so it's January 5th. Safe to say you guys are done making major moves this offseason. I mean, you can't rule out all moves, but major moves like the one you've, ones you've made, is it safe to say you're done making those type of deals? Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I, like you said, I, I wouldn't rule out <laughs> making no moves. Certainly, mm. uh, we have a long way to go, and you don't know what's going to get thrown on your lap, especially from a trade standpoint. I, you know, I, I think that's the one where you're gonna there are going to be things that still have to break. There's a lot of free agents still left out on the market. Uh, those things have to settle. Uh, there are teams that still have holes to fill. There are teams that still have needs to fill. And, you know, we have a lot of good young players that teams have asked about and will continue to ask about. And who knows what, you know, depending on what other clubs want to do as we get closer to spring training and maybe, you know, other teams, if they get anxious for whatever reason to to want to have to make a deal or, or need to make a deal, then, you know, things could still happen here. Uh, we're certainly staying in contact with everybody and staying in the loop on, on all things as it relates to those players. Um, it's hard to predict right now, but I think a lot of the major lifting has already been done. Uh, and Hanley Ramirez, you're still expecting him to be a starting first baseman on opening day, right? Now, that has not changed. Correct. That has not changed. Uh, any updates on his workouts? I know you guys have asked him uh, to lose a little bit of weight, maybe 15 pounds. I think I read, I mean, any updates on him? Do you keep in touch with Hanley? What's going on with him right now? Yeah, I actually had the uh, the pleasure of having dinner with Hanley and Pedro uh, down in the DR right before Christmas. That was uh, that was a, a, an interesting evening, a good dinner. Um, he looked good. I know he's working hard. I know. Um, I, I think that one of the biggest themes for a lot of guys this year is with David making the announcement. I think a lot of guys really want to play for David, and I, I think they really want to send David out on top. I think it's important to a lot of those guys that David was a mentor for, or or a, you know guys looked up to. Uh, and, and I think that's motivating for a lot of those guys that, you know, hey, look, everybody was here last year. They know nobody likes to, uh, not to mention in this town alone, but finishing in last place for these guys with the amount of pride they have, 
I think you're going to see differences coming into spring training. And David Ortiz, I mean, he doesn't have to go around and tell people that. The, I mean, we all know this is his farewell tour. You know, it's sort of a given around the clubhouse, right? Guys looking around, going, "We got to do this for Big Poppy." I mean, you think that's the? Is that going to be the theme from? We know it's going to be the theme from from the organization and and from other teams when David Ortiz goes into their ballparks, sending them off with the farewell tour. But I mean, inside the clubhouse with other players, is that going to be a theme uh, for everybody on this team? To let's let's send David Ortiz out on top. I mean, you know, it's baseball. Themes kind of wear thin after a couple of days mm. or a few losses or a bad road trip. And so it's hard to carry a theme for the entire year. But, yeah, that certainly some undercurrent of that is going to be in our clubhouse. It has to be. This guy has made such a mark on this city. Uh, you look what he's done for the city, for the team. I mean, the World Series titles, the performances in the postseason. And, and, and that's something that, you know, guys pay attention to. It's something that garners a tremendous amount of respect inside and outside of the clubhouse. And, you know, I think you, you'd have to have, have no heart or no feelings at all not to, not to see that and want to want to do something to contribute to, to sort of David going out on top with one last run. Hey, you might not want to tell people you, you're going out to dinner with Hanley Ramirez because, I mean, you're trying to get him to lose weight. You know, if he doesn't, we're going to be putting on you, Mike. You know, you're taking well, Hanley Ramirez. Well, I mean, Ram- I, I didn't tell you what he had for dinner. The guy had <laughs> fish right. for dinner. I mean, I think that he was eating pretty healthy. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm just kidding with you on that one. But uh, when I think of Hanley going to first – I have to ask you because I always bring this up on the radio and on this podcast. And it's, um, I was there ever any discussion about, all right, you need to get Hanley in the infield. Was there ever discussion about putting him on the other side, getting him back to the side that he's normal? And obviously not shortstop because you got Xander Bogots, right. but maybe tease the idea of putting him at third and Pablo moving Pablo over to first. Was there ever the discussion on that? We talked about some of those things. I think when you start moving multiple players, multiple positions, you end up creating more uncertainty mm-hmm. i think or or you in terms of asking multiple guys to change positions you know i think and i look i think pablo could play first base i think hanley could probably play third but i think we felt like this was the best path for us in order to make you know keep as many constants in that infield as possible and and we believe that hanley's going to be a good first baseman i mean the guy was a good shortstop uh he obviously got bigger uh, and stronger as he as he as he's uh you know, gotten a little bit older and he's going to have to work on that. And I think that's why you saw some of the weight comments in terms of being a little bit more athletic uh, when he moves in and around first base. Cause as we see, that's a challenging position. He's got good hands. You know, it's not going to rely on him to make a ton of throws. He can move. Uh, if he, you know, if you, if you box the ball first base, it hits you on the chest, you have plenty more time to recover and make a play. Uh, it's a very challenging position from a technique standpoint, obviously, and there's a lot of work that's got to go into it. But mm. you do have a little bit more from a timing standpoint in terms of the pitcher covering first base, or you know, if you don't feel the ball cleanly, you can you can recover a lot better than you can on the other side of the field. And but by, more than anything else, we think that you know the guy had the ability to play shortstop in the big leagues for a long time. He had good hands, he had good instincts over there, and we're you know we're shifting him a little bit on the infield. And uh, finally, I got to ask you about Christian Vasquez. Uh, where are we with him with his return? Uh, are we looking at him being 100 percent soon? And I guess in a perfect world, I mean, is Vasquez is he your guy behind the plate uh, most of the season or on, even on opening day? I mean, he's the guy that I'm most excited to see here moving forward. And I know you guys think very highly of him. Where are we with Christian Vasquez? Any update on him? Yeah, so Vasquez's playing in the uh, Puerto Rican Winter League right now. He's uh, wrapping up. He's been playing since November. 
So he's gotten over 100 at bats under his belt, mostly DH, all DHing, I should say. He won't, we wouldn't, we weren't going to allow him to catch until he comes into spring training. So he's going to come to Fort Myers in January, continue his rehab from a throwing standpoint. He's been throwing. Uh, he's going to continue that leading up to spring training where he'll catch for the first time. You know, not going to put any markers on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's coming back from Tommy John surgery where everything's been good. He's been swinging the bat well. He's had no issues. But we'll see what happens when we get into spring training and he gets behind the plate again because it's been a while since he's done that. We're going to have to get him back up to speed. But, you know, as you said, I mean, this guy's such a talent. He's got he's such weapons back there. His ability to receive, his ability to throw, he's so quick. Um, you know, he's certainly a difference maker back there. All right, Mike, uh, thanks a lot for joining me today. Uh, best of luck in 2016, and we hope to get you on the show again at some point during the season. All right, Danny, anytime. All right, great stuff right there from Mike Hazen, the Boston Red Sox Senior Vice President and General Manager. Uh, Hope to get Mike on again a couple times throughout the season, but special thanks to him for joining me this morning over the phone. Spring training cannot come soon enough. We are six weeks until pitches and catches report. I left my house this morning in Southie to come to Dorchester into my studio here at Beantown Athletics, and it was eight degrees this morning, so... It is cold, but as I say all the time, embrace it because I do think we need some cold weather to make us appreciate some of the warmer weather, which is just a couple months away. But it's good to get a little baseball talk in as we get set for the NFL playoffs. And uh, there is some news throughout the NFL, not really with the playoff matchups. We know those matchups. I went over those yesterday. If you want a recap and a reaction to all of week 17 and sort of an early look at the NFL playoff picture and the matchups that are set in stone now officially, you can go to yesterday's podcast. You can get this show whenever you want. I record and broadcast five days a week. You can get it at dannypicard.com. Also subscribe on iTunes, the TuneIn app, the Stitcher app, really anywhere podcasts are available, but yesterday I reacted to all of Week 17 and went over the NFL playoff matchup, so I'm not going to do that again for you, but one thing today that I looked at and saw was, you know, I I always go over the spreads, I go over the money lines, I I sort of, especially on Fridays where I give you my picks, five games with the spread to close out each week, and I will do that again this Friday, I'm going to give you picks picks for the wildcard round on Friday. Um, uh, there is an interest that I have in, in taking a look and seeing who the favorite is to win Super Bowl 50 as we go into the playoffs, knowing the playoff matchups are set in stone. And what do you know? For all the concerns that we have here in New England about this Patriots team, though, I think I broke it down for you pretty good yesterday when uh, on Monday's podcast when... I told you they're good. the Patriots are going to get all these players back. They're going to get Edelman back. Uh, you know, you look at a guy like Chandler Jones, who was inactive in Week 17. guy like Hightower, who was inactive in Week 17. An offensive lineman like Sebastian Volma, who was inactive in Week 17. And, and again, Julian Edelman, just a guy who is available to Tom Brady to get the ball off quick, to pick up a couple first downs, more first downs than they did the last couple weeks. You need a guy like that. I think the offense is certainly going to change, and it's certainly going to improve. You need to block up front. Uh, The example I gave was last year, after the first four games of the regular season, they were able to fix that offensive line just like that. And what do you know? When you fix that offensive line and you begin to block for your quarterback, it's really amazing 
how much things can change and how much, how, how many more weapons it seems your quarterback has when he has some extra time in the pocket. So while the Patriots, it looks like they're limping in, they, they are going to get some players back in the divisional round with the first round by. Yes, it would be nice to get that AFC championship game at home. They do not have that luxury anymore, but that doesn't mean they will not be able to win on the road. I, I think they will, and I do think it's going to be in Denver. I think they're going to have a shot in that game, but let's see what this team looks like in the divisional round. But for all the concerns that some people have about this Patriots team going into the playoffs, Vegas has the Patriots as a co-favorite to win the Super Bowl along with the Arizona Cardinals. An Arizona Cardinals team that I told you, even after what happened to them against Seattle in Week 17, in which Arizona said, you know what, at halftime, Carolina's winning their game. Here we are. We know we're going to be the two seed and get a first round bye. Let's rest everybody in the second half. That's exactly what they did. But you look at the first half and say Seattle whooped them in that first half. And people are looking at the Seahawks as a dangerous team. But I told you, I, I look, Seattle's got to, as a sixth seed, they win, if they win their first game against Minnesota, a very good Minnesota team, by the way, they have to go to Minnesota. They then have to go to Carolina as the sixth seed, have to go to the one seed. Then they have to go to Arizona unless something crazy happens and Arizona loses, but I don't think so because I do believe that Arizona is one of the more dangerous all-around teams in the NFL. You know, you can ch- they you can check off every single category for that for that Arizona Cardinals team: quarterback, running back, uh, pass rush, secondary. I mean, you they got it all. They have it all in Arizona. So. If you're Seattle, that is the t- they have the toughest road to Super Bowl 50. And I think that one thing Seattle's used to, sure, they have players who have been there before, but one thing they're used to doing, they used to, you know, get into the Super Bowl playing some home games. They're not going to have that luxury this year. And the road games they have to play are going to be very difficult in Minnesota, in Carolina, and I think in Arizona. So we'll see about Seattle. But Arizona, they are a co-favorite to win the Super Bowl along with the New England Patriots. So that's saying something. You know, that, 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 does, that means that not everybody is overly concerned with how the Patriots ended their regular season, losing four of their last six. But I really went into all my Patriots reaction on yesterday's podcast. So make sure you go back and listen to that when you get a chance. There was a lot to get you caught up on with the shortened holiday week last week. But uh, knowing the playoff schedule and knowing the playoff teams, you know, you get some injury updates that come out. And I think the biggest injury update that, you're looking at here in the NFL with the playoff teams is probably what's going on in Cincinnati. Probably what's going on in Cincinnati. I mean, look, we're concerned about Tom Brady's ankle. I get that. I mean, believe me, when when he took that hit from Nadamik and Sue on Sunday, I had to put my hands over my eyes, and when I peeked through my fingers, I saw Tom Brady sort of hunched over in pain, and I was sick to my stomach. I was sick to my stomach. You don't want to see that. And uh, we're obviously concerned about him, but after the MRIs, it shows no breaks, no fractures. They're calling it a high ankle sprain. Now, high ankle sprains are no good. 
All right, so I don't know that I want to look at that and say that's great news, but I think given the options, <laughs> okay, if you were to tell me what would you rather see Tom Brady had suffered if he had to suffer that injury on that ankle or that leg, I would say, okay, I'll take that one. I'll take the high ankle sprain over the fracture or the break that's going to require him to miss some time. And if you want me to get more descriptive with that, I'll say, I'll take the high ankle sprain on the right ankle. And that's where it is. Because Tom Brady throws with his right hand. He plants with that left foot. I think that if you're a quarterback, you'd probably, and, and you said, you need to, we need to give you a high ankle sprain. Which ankle would you like it on? I think they choose the, the back foot. You know, you know, if Tom Brady's out there throwing off his back foot anyways, that's not going to be a good thing. That means they're not protected for him. That means that he's not going to put some good balls up in the air. I think you'd rather see it. If he's got to have it, you'd rather see it on the back ankle than the front planting foot. And, and that's where it is. It's on the, the, the back ankle. And on top of it, look, I'm not trying to tell you a high ankle sprain's good. It's not. But it's better than some of the alternative injuries that he could have suffered in this game in Week 17. And on top of that, look, Tom Brady's had high ankle sprains before, and he's won with them before. He's won championships with them before. So, uh, you know, it, 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 you have to take it all into account. And when you do, I think the most serious injury that is out there in the NFL, it's got to be a quarterback injury. I think that would be the most serious one. Which means that Cincinnati, their quarterback situation is sort of in limbo. Now, A.J. McCarron, he's saying all the right things. You know, he's taking it day by day. He says he's embracing everything. He's been their starting quarterback for a couple weeks now. It's very clear that Cincinnati is not afraid to let him air it out and throw the football, especially with some of the weapons that he has uh, in A.J. Green uh, with that offense. But, you know, if you're a Bengal fan, I think if I told you Andy Dalton would be ready to go, you'd want Andy Dalton to be under center. That's your guy. As Even though you may have some questions, which we all do, about Cincinnati, even with a healthy 100% Andy Dalton, there's still questions, what can Cincinnati do? How far can they go? Can they win a playoff game? Not just one, but they're going to have to win three just to get to the Super Bowl, can they accomplish that feat? I think if Andy Dalton was healthy and never suffered a broken thumb and a throwing hand, we'd still be asking that question. So he, the, the news with Andy Dalton is that he just got his cast off. But the Bengals, as they prepare to host the very dangerous Pittsburgh Steelers, the Bengals are still prepping A.J. McCarron as if he is going to be the starter. Now, these are reports. These are leaks. It is only Tuesday. You know, we got to wait to see some injury reports. And you know how I feel about injury reports in the NFL. You can't believe them all anyways. Um, I, so I don't even know if you want to take injury reports and look at that and say, well, this is what's going to happen on um, Saturday in this game as the Bengals host the Steelers. And this is what it's going to look like. No, I don't think you can. I don't think you can look at the injury report and, and tell me what, who's going to be on a center. I don't think you can right now on Tuesday. But um, the way I've always looked at the Dalton injury, if you've listened to me on this podcast before, is it, it, it's a little different than saying, oh, he'll play through the pain. Like, it's one thing if Dalton is some type of hamstring or leg or non-throwing shoulder injury. Play through the pain. Question, can he take the hit? 
Andy Dalton, when he's in a game, you're asking him to do one thing. You're asking him to throw the football with his right hand. If his thumb is broken, I don't care if his cast is off. I don't care, you know, where you are in the recovery timetable. Is that thumb going to be able to withstand not just one entire game, but three entire games just to get to the Super Bowl? And not only that, it's one thing playing through pain. It's another thing actually being able to execute with a with a broken thumb. So I, I don't know, even if they played Andy Dalton, how he would look. And I think that's why I'm leaning towards the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think that's the reason why Pittsburgh is a three-point favorite in this game. I, I mean, you look at the playoff games in the NFL, the four wildcard games, only one home team is a favorite. And that's the Washington Redskins on Sunday at 4.30. The final game of the wildcard weekend, the Redskins hosting the Packers. And I don't even know that that has to do with how the Redskins are playing and how good they've looked. I think it has to do with how bad Green Bay's looked, combined with the fact that it's going to be in Washington. So uh, only one team is a home favorite in wildcard weekend, and that's the Redskins. The Steelers go to Cincy. Steelers are a three-point favorite, but the Bengals are the home team. Bengals are the home team. They're a three-point dog. I think that has all to do with the fact that the quarterback situation is up in the air in Cincinnati, but the news is Andy Dalton has had the cast taken off his right hand, but they are still prepping A.J. McCarron to start. If you ask me who is going to start for the Cincinnati Bengals in this game on Saturday night against Pittsburgh, wild card, win or go home, playoff football, I'm telling you right now, I still think that A.J. McCarron is going to get this start, which means, um, you know, what you're going to ask from him, at least what I think you should ask from him, even though you have, you've showed that you're not afraid to let him throw the football, I don't know that you're putting him in a situation in which you're asking McCarron to win the game. I still think you're asking your defense to win this game, to get to Big Ben, uh, to make a couple big plays and and win the turnover battle with your defense and run the football with the couple running backs that you have in Cincinnati. I, I think that's your game plan in this one. Take advantage of the home field and uh, hope that you can pull one out. Right now, now for all the praise that we've given Pittsburgh, and I think it's deserved. I think I think we should do that. There's no question. I think they deserve the praise. Uh, they needed they needed help to get in. Look, they miss, Roethlisberger missed some games this year with several injuries. Uh, they I think they did a nice job when Roethlisberger was out to keep themselves in position to make the playoffs. But even with Big Ben, two weeks ago they lost to the Baltimore Ravens. That's an alarming game because that was a must win. That was a playoff game because Pittsburgh controlled their own destiny if they won the last two. And you go into that week 16 game against the Ravens and you say, look at how good Pittsburgh's offense has been. Look at how bad Baltimore's defense has been, especially their pass defense. Big Ben should be throwing all over these guys. It didn't happen. Ryan Mallett beat the Steelers. The Ravens beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. And all of a sudden, Pittsburgh found themselves in Week 17 in a position where they no longer controlled their own destiny to get into the postseason. They needed a win, and they needed help with the Bills beating the Jets. And luckily for Pittsburgh, sure, Pittsburgh took care of their own business against Cleveland. I don't think it was overly convincing, but hey, a win is a win is a win. And they got help from the Bills, and the Jets lost, and the Jets choked. 
and uh, Pittsburgh finds themselves in the playoffs. But as much as we've praised Pittsburgh, and I know I said they deserve it, I don't think we can ignore the fact that in what was a must-win game at the time for them, they lost to one of the worst teams in the National Football League. And because of that, you know, I don't think you can come into this game and say that Pittsburgh, that it's a must-win for them. I think we have to give also some credit to Cincinnati, even without Andy Dalton, that they have a very good defense and they still have weapons offensively. You know, you could find yourself in a situation where you're saying, you know what, throw it up to AJ AJ Green. He's going to come down with it. Throw it up to him. We're in a position where it doesn't really matter who's at quarterback. We get into certain situations, throw it up, make them come down with it. Let's just, you know, if A.J. McCarron plays in this game and he does not turn the ball over, Cincinnati has a very good chance to win. And if they can somehow pull one out, right, if the Bengals can somehow pull one out, then maybe you you buy yourself an extra week with Andy Dalton and maybe you put him on the center for a game against the Patriots in the divisional round at Gillette Stadium. Uh, you know, but the, you got to get there first. If you do get there, though, I think that's probably where we could see Dalton. I'm not so sure we're going to see him in this game against the Steelers on Saturday night, but we'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, that's the injury news that's out there. That's really the biggest injury news that's out there. The other news in the NFL really has to do more with the teams that aren't in the playoffs. And I do think some of these moves require a reaction, and that's why I'm going to go over them. Now, you want to stick here locally. To, you know, you if you want to relate it to teams that are in the playoffs, some of the coaching changes, the coaching carousel in the NFL, then you can look at teams that are being asked for permission to talk with coordinators right offensive coordinators defensive coordinators even some GMs around the league are being asked and and one thing that's happened now the last couple years is other teams reaching out to the New England Patriots a Patriots team that's in the playoffs a Patriots team that gets a first round by that's trying to get back to the trying to get to the Super Bowl and other teams asking them around this time of year can we talk to your offensive coordinator can we talk to Josh McDaniels Asking the Patriots, can we talk to your defensive coordinator? Can we talk to Matt Patricia? And those things are happening right now. You look at teams like Miami. You look at teams like Cleveland. They're asking for permission. Um, I assume now a team like the Giants because Tom Coughlin has stepped down. Though, that seems to be the story today with regards to a coach leaving an organization. We can talk all we want about how Tom Coughlin did the honorable thing. He did. He did the honorable thing by stepping down and not making it this big circus, this big, you know, fuck you, no, fuck you battle in the media. He said, you know what? I'm stepping down, but he didn't just do it out of nowhere. He still says he wants to coach. I, you know, I, I think he was, I think it's pretty obvious, at least this is my opinion, but I, in my opinion, I think it's obvious that he was told, look, if you don't step down, you're going to get fired. It's one thing if Tom Coughlin said, I just don't have it anymore. I just don't want to coach anymore. That's certainly not, that's not what's happening. Tom Coughlin's saying, I am going to coach. And, uh, you know, but I'm going to step down. It's just not working out here in New York. I mean, people want to point out the Giants and the fact that, you know, they, they were not good this year. And there are so many years where they haven't made the playoffs. But look, there are a lot of coaches and a lot of organizations 
that would that would take the the giant that would step into the giant shoes and and would take that position of not making the playoffs for several years but still winning multiple Super Bowls in less than 10 years you know and and let's not ignore what Tom Coughlin has done and I'm not saying that anybody is ignoring it but the idea that you had to fire him is a little crazy to me even though they didn't make the playoffs this year I understand maybe sometimes the team just stops responding to certain coaches. I get that. And and you need a, a a fresh face. I think those those are teams, though, that, that get to the playoffs a couple times and are not able to finish the job. I mean, you got to acknowledge that the Giants, twice in less than 10 years, were able to finish the damn job and win Super Bowls. So, to me, I look at that and go, man, there are a couple seasons, if you told me I wasn't going to make the playoffs, but then there'd be a couple years where I would get into the playoffs and win championships, that's not a bad position to be in. So I don't look at it and think Coughlin needed to get fired, but this is my opinion from the outside looking in. It does seem like they told him, we're getting rid of you, so you either got to step down and we'll do this the right way, or this is going to be a shit show and it's going to look awfully bad on us. And how do you want to do this? And Coughlin, look, I think he did the right thing. And he stepped down as he basically was told he's got to go, right? I mean, that's just my opinion. But I, I I don't see how it could happen any other way. I mean, the guy's not coming out retiring, saying he wants to coach again. And in fact, if you watched any of uh, the press conference at, at that today that they had, Coughlin's done talking. He steps down. John Mara walks right up to him, and Coughlin looks him right in the face and walks right by him, storms right by him. No handshake, no acknowledgement, walking right by. And, you know, maybe they'll say the right things after and say, well, you know, I'm going to see him anyways afterwards. Usually, when you know you're on display for the public, in the public eye like that, the whole nation is watching this. The world is watching NFL press conferences, Tom Coughlin, you know, press conference, stepping down. You'd think there'd be a little bit of a handshake there. No, there wasn't. It was pretty, I don't usually overreact. I don't like to overreact to things like that, but I'm not going to lie. When I watch that video, I take a step back and say, oh man, that's, that's cold. <laughs> that's cold blooded. That's cold hearted right there. That, that, that's a, that looked like a genuine dislike for each other, in my opinion. But um, that's the that's the story. And so with the Giants' job open, I, I assume, you know, they're going to have McDaniels in mind. I assume Patricia's going to be in mind there. I, I, I assume those guys, Patricia, McDaniels, there'll be multiple jobs in which they're going to interview for the next couple weeks. Uh, one job they won't be interviewing for is the Indianapolis Colts job because the news, the biggest story of teams keeping a coach is the Indianapolis Colts have signed Chuck Pagano to an extension. And I told you very quickly on yesterday's podcast, I didn't get into a lot of this coaching carousel stuff yesterday. I did more week 17 reaction. Here are the playoff matchups. Um, here's how these teams look going into the playoffs. But I mentioned it briefly. I said, for all the coaching changes that are being made, that are rumored to be made, that aren't going to be made, there are two names to me that I look at and say, 
these guys should not lose their jobs. They shouldn't. One of them was Dallas head coach Jason Garrett. And now, I I know that Jerry Jones has come out and said they're not getting rid of Jason Garrett. I mean, they can say all they want publicly, and, and something else could be happening privately. Jerry Jones, for all we know, could have had a phone conversation with Sean Payton's reps today. I have no idea. I mean, those things could be happening. They can say whatever they want to us publicly, and and, and we're going to take it as it is. But if you look at it realistically, I gave you two names yesterday. One was Jason Garrett. I don't think he should be fired. And the main reason is because I don't think you can fire a coach if he loses his quarterback for more than half the season. You just can't do it. They lost Romo for most of the season. Look at who they had on the center. Matt Castle, Brandon Whedon, Matt Castle again. I mean, no, it's just, this is not, that. that's not the way you can judge a coach if you don't give him a quarterback or if you start quarterback. Because if Romo is healthy all season, I'm convinced they win that division with 10 wins. And uh, they didn't have that. Des Bryant was out when he missed the first seven, eight weeks with a broken foot. You can't. You can't all of a sudden uh, come down with the hammer on Jason Garrett. Sure, you might not like the job that he's done the last couple of years. Maybe you have. I mean, again, you go back to last year, the Des Bryant, the catch, the no catch against Green Bay. You know, the, the Cowboys looked like they were taking a step in the right direction. And a step in the right direction for the Cowboys last year was, hey, at least Tony Romo didn't lose it for you. Uh, that's a step in the right direction. Um, and you could have said that. You said that last year. I said it last year. And this year, sure, it looks like they took a step back, but you got to be realistic about it. Tony Romo was out all season long, most of the season. I know he made a return, but he got hurt again. You cannot judge Jason Garrett's job this year on what that team did without Tony Romo. So that's one name. And the other name was... As much as we hate the Indianapolis Colts organization here in New England, not just because of the, the rivalries with Peyton Manning, but also because of the Flategate stuff, uh, put those aside for a minute. Chuck Pagano should not lose his job. Now, he's not going to. He signs an extension. He's going to stay in Indy. Uh, and, but the latest news is that the Colts, before they signed Chuck Pagano to an extension, they were talking to Sean Payton, who's still the coach of the New Orleans Saints as of the time I do this podcast. But the Saints have said if Sean Payton does go elsewhere, they want, what is it, a second-round pick, I believe they want it. They want draft picks for him. They want to make the trade if they're going to lose Payton. Them saying that means they're willing to negotiate. They're willing to discuss. Now, reportedly, the Colts, before signing Chuck Pagano to this extension, they were talking to Sean Payton's reps. I don't know if they were ta- ended up talking to New Orleans or not. I don't know how far the discussions got, but at least the Colts were interested in bringing in Sean Payton. Now, I, as of the time I record this podcast, I have no idea why that didn't work out. I don't know who said no to who. I don't know who backed off that deal. Did Payton say no? Uh, did the Saints say no? Did the Colts say no? And if they did, why did they say no? I don't know enough about that situation. Here's what I know. Chuck Pagano signs an extension. He is staying in Indy. And I think this is the right thing for the Colts organization because you talk about coaches that you shouldn't be judging uh, their season on because you lose a quarterback to injury. Just like I said that about Jason Garrett, I have the same exact 
uh, dots and opinions when it comes to Chuck Pagano and the Colts. Andrew Luck missed more than half of their season. You cannot possibly... And, and look, they still had a chance to win the division. As bad as the division was, they still had a chance to do it. Uh, the Houston Texans win the division with a 9-7 and record. The Colts finish 8-8. Eight and eight. They, they didn't have Andrew Luck. For more than half of the season, you cannot possibly judge the job that Chuck Pagano did or didn't do when you don't have your superstar Pro Bowl uh, franchise quarterback in Andrew Luck on the field. You just, I just can't judge him. I just, I can't fire him on that. You know, if they, if Andrew Luck plays a full season next year, the Colts go eight and eight. They don't make the playoffs. Then you say, yeah, Chuck Pagano. All right, we signed you an extension. Hit the road, Jack. I mean, that's it. That's what happens. But right now, I told you yesterday, uh, I think Jason Garrett, Chuck Pagano are two coaches that I look at and say, eh, I I don't think you should be getting rid of those guys. It looks like Garrett's going to stay in Dallas, and Chuck Pagano signs an extension. He will stay in Indy. Um, you look around the rest of the league. I mean, looks like the Dolphins are going to be looking for someone. Mike Shanahan's name is out there. He's going to interview with the Dolphins. Uh, Chip Kelly, you know, he's been fired now for about, what, a week from the Philadelphia Eagles. And again, I'm, I'm shocked that people are shocked about that. Like, I, I, I know some people like Chip Kelly, or maybe they might be friendly with him. But when I'm going to judge him on his job, and and you know what? I've said this many times. I said this in week five. I told you that Chip Kelly is going to lose his job, not because I think he's a bad coach. Look, he's, he's a great college coach. I think his job as an NFL coach the book's still open on that. I don't I don't think we have an answer to that. So I can't tell you he's a bad NFL coach. All I know is he hasn't really proven to be a great one yet. But but I don't think that's over. I do think at some point he'll get a shot. Now he might have to go to college first and then come to the NFL, especially if he needs to be in a special situation with a special quarterback and a special type of offense. I I, I think I told you early in the season, Chip Kelly's going to lose his job, not because he's a bad coach. We don't know that yet. But because he's a bad GM. That's it. You can't hire Chip Kelly to be your your GM. You need to hire him to be a coach who is sort of on the same page as his GM. But Chip Kelly cannot be the guy making those moves, right? He can have maybe a say. You you can have a GM that, that really listens to the coach. But, I mean, what GM in the NFL, if you think about it, doesn't listen to the coach? Right, and doesn't see what type of offense you're running. Still, some of the moves that 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 Chip Kelly made just didn't make any sense. Did not make any sense. The type of offense he wants to run. Demarco Murray doesn't have success under that type of offense. But yet, you you made the move. You made you know you signed him. You traded McCoy. Yeah, you got a linebacker. Uh, you you got rid of Macklin. You got rid of Deshaun Jackson. You ended up, you know, a quarterback that I thought you did pretty good with, with Foles. You got rid of him. You brought in Sam Bradford. It's beyond me why you thought Sam Bradford was going to be this quarterback that was going to be successful for you. I mean, talk about someone in the league that has proven nothing to you as an NFL quarterback. Sam Bradford, you know, is someone that was named this starting quarterback for this special offense. I'm sorry. 
I think that Chip Kelly was fired, and I told you he was going to be, because of his GM skills rather than his coaching style or skill. I, I, I do. I, I think he'll get another shot as a coach. Might not be right away in the NFL, but um, you know, I'm not shocked that he lost his job because I think he lost his job as the GM, and, and on top of it, they said, you know what? You lost the team at the same time, so we got to just get rid of you altogether. We just got to get rid of you altogether. Now, here's what I tell you is not a good thing. When you hear reports of, because you start hearing reports of coaches interviewing with teams or teams, teams asking to interview coaches. That, it's not a good thing when you're hearing reports of the coach and the coach's camp asking teams if they can interview with them. That's what we're hearing about Chip Kelly, hearing reports that Chip Kelly's camp has reached out to the 49ers. Chip Kelly's camp has reached out to this team, to that team, to see if uh, he can interview for the job. It should be the other way around. Um, I'll tell you what a job opening that a lot of people are knocking right now, but I think they might regret it. They might regret knocking this job in three years. Because, look, it's the it's the cool thing to do to knock the shit organization that has quarterback issues, right? A team, you know, a team that went 5-11, and 11, a team that had such a quick downfall from just being in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, uh, from being in the NFC Championship a year after that. I mean, when a team has that type of downfall, they bench their starting quarterback who is supposed to be the franchise, who's making all this money, and, and it looks like, you know, you have multiple coaches in multiple years. The the popular thing to do is to knock that franchise and start, you know, the analysts and the reporters and the media, they start telling us what job's good, what job is awful. And a lot of people out there, when I watch TV and I listen to some of these analysts, they're really knocking the 49er job. Um, I tell you what, if I'm a coach in the NFL that's looking to go somewhere that's, and I don't even know that I want to say looking to be creative, but is looking to to coach a team that has a young quarterback with a whole lot of skill and talent that's proven at the NFL level. Because you need a quarterback in this league. There's no question. If you don't if you don't have a quarterback, you shouldn't be going to that organization unless you think, you know, unless you know of a quarterback in college that you're gonna draft, that you're gonna pick up, uh, you have a top pick, that's a different story. But San Francisco, the Colin Kaepernick issue is interesting because if I'm a coach that's looking for a job, and and let's say I'm somebody that has the luxury of maybe being able to choose a couple different spots, I can't look at Colin Kaepernick and say, I don't want to go there because of him. I, I, I can't say that. And look, I'll be the first to admit to you and tell you that I did not expect Colin Kaepernick's career to go down this path, to be in the spot that he's in. I just, I'm shocked by that. What I did start seeing, though, was, and and sure, he deserves some of the blame, but I think the play calling with him got a little crazy at times the last couple of years where I think whoever was running the plays in San Francisco, they tried to rely on his legs more than his arm. And while, sure, when Kaepernick took his team to the Super Bowl, they went to an NFC Championship, um, 
there was one thing that really jumped off the screen, and that's when Colin Kaepernick took off and he started running. What do we say? He looked like a video game player. He looked like a, a, a quarterback or a running back in Madden where you would hit the speed burst button and it would just look unrealistic. That's how Kaepernick looked in real life. So his speed burst, his stride, everything that, that, that happened, that it, everything that how it looked when he ran the football as a quarterback, it looked special. It looked unique. It looked unstoppable. But he could always throw it at the same time. And he has a seed. I watched him this year early on. It was inaccurate. But what I've seen from San Francisco, in, in and this is a, a limited amount of time that I've been able to watch from them the last two, th- two and a half years, is that I think they started to focus more on the run. And, and they started to use, they wanted him to use his legs more than his arm. And I think that's a bad strategy, given the fact that you have a quarterback that can throw the football. And in this league, your quarterback needs to be able to throw the football. I- instead of looking at his the, his ability to run as a luxury, they used it as uh, the primary focus for his offensive game. And, I, uh, and look, this is my opinion. This is what I saw. And I think that's a bad strategy. You can use your legs. You can run the football if you want. But but don't forget, you can when you get out of the pocket, you can still throw it. You can still make the big throw. I think that's what makes Russell Wilson so great, is that he can run, but when he gets out of the pocket, he doesn't necessarily tuck the ball in and say, okay, now I'm going to run. You know, you cut the field in half when you start doing that shit. Russell Wilson understands he gets out of the pocket. He might have a lane to run, but he knows he can also throw the football downfield. With San Francisco, I saw them starting to run plays where they would have Kaepernick and shotgun. They would hut the football. And he would tuck it and run. You cut the field in half. You're showing them what you're going to do. It's a dumb play call. And I saw them do that an awful lot. And I do think it affected Kaepernick's game. Um, But whatever it may be, whether you disagree with that, what have you, you can't deny that it wasn't too long ago. This young quarterback took a team to a Super Bowl, took them to an NFC championship, has all the talent in the world, the ability to throw the football. It's one thing if we're sitting there looking at Kaepernick going, yeah, he just can't throw. He doesn't have a good arm. He throws a seed. He throws an absolute seed. I'm telling you right now, I San Francisco's had their issues, but if I'm a coach that has the luxury of being able to pick a spot to coach and I see Kaepernick there, I... I I I would want to go and work with him. I would. I'd be very interested in that job. I don't know that that job is as bad as some of these analysts are making it out to be. I really don't. But um, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens with that job. We'll keep an eye on all the jobs that are out there. You know, you got the Cleveland job. Who who wants that, right? Because now you get Johnny Manziel. What was he? He was. I know I've defended Manziel before, but it does look. It does look like now that he just wants out of Cleveland. He just wants out. We keep saying, well, Cleveland doesn't want him. You know, when Johnny Manziel no-shows uh, a doctor's appointment right before the game, right, when he no-shows that, you know, you look at, I mean, you you look at the situation Cleveland's in and you look at the situation Johnny Manziel's in, it's starting to look more and more like, well, Johnny, sure, Cleveland doesn't want Manziel, but Johnny Manziel doesn't want Cleveland, Right? And he's doing some things now to get himself out of there. The question will be, 
can he do anything in the next two years to get another team to want him to be their starting quarterback? You don't play in this league to be a backup, right? You you play to be a starting quarterback. Manziel has the skills, I believe. Um, it, it's He still is the youth, but is there going to be another organization that's going to take him seriously enough where they want him? He clearly wants another organization, but does another organization want him? I don't know. I mean, he's in Vegas with a fake mustache and, and a wig. Uh, I, that's the report, at least, the other night. What was it, Saturday night? Um, he's uh, Johnny Menzel's not going back to Cleveland. I'll tell you that. But I, you know, I don't think it's just because Cleveland doesn't want him. I also think it's because it's pretty clear Johnny Manziel does not want to go back to Cleveland. And I think he keeps acting like this. He's going to get his wish, and he will be out of Cleveland. So uh, that is that's the coaching carousel news. That's the roster news. Actually, one couple other NFL stories. I've talked about this Peyton Manning HGH stuff the last couple days, and uh, if you know how I feel on it, I'm. I'm shocked, and I think it's embarrassing that the national sports media is not spending any time on this story because it is a story, especially the way they turned Deflategate into a story. They turned it from a non-story to a major story to world news to the end of the world type of story, and uh, they're not even going to focus on this Peyton Manning stuff, which is mind-boggling. But So I've given my opinion on that the last couple shows. Go back and listen if you want it. But uh, a, a story that's related to it, we talked yesterday about Jim Nance and how they broadcast the Broncos Chargers game on Sunday at 4:30. And going into the game, Jim Nance talked with Mike Francesa, WFAN, and he told them, "Look, I think it's." He said, "I think it's a non-story. I'm not going to add any other layers to this since I think it's a non-story. So we're not even going to bring it up." And they didn't, and we all laughed at it, and I laughed at it. Well. Today, we find out exactly why Jim Nance did that and exactly why he ignored it. Maybe not because he thinks it's a non-story. Because, hey, if you think it's a non-story, then I I think you're living on another planet. But we're finding out that Jim Nance and Peyton Manning, they share the same agent. So there you go. If you're looking for reasons, realistic reasons, as to why Jim Nance didn't bring it up the other day, I don't think it's necessarily because of what he says that he doesn't think it's a story. It's now we're seeing that Jim Nance and Peyton Manning share the same representatives, the same agent. And uh, that might be one reason why he is going out of his way to protect Peyton Manning by not bringing up the HGH allegations at all, even once on the broadcast on CBS the other day. So there's that answer for you. I'm still trying to come up with the answer to the question, why would anybody really want to go to L.A. if you're an NFL franchise? Well, the Rams, the Raiders, and the Chargers have all applied for relocation to L.A. You know, you read some things, like I follow Bill Simmons on Twitter, and he's out in L.A., right? Um, he's got the new podcast and we, I've tried, I'm trying to get him on. I can't even get in touch with him. Um, but whatever, we'll still try. We'll keep trying, trying to get him on this podcast. Uh, talk some Celtics, by the way, Celtics won last night, took care of business, beat Brooklyn, even though they lost to Brooklyn the previous game and lost to the Lakers the previous game, but they took care of business last night, beating Brooklyn the second time in a row that they faced them. 
But, uh, yeah, try to get Bill Simmons on the podcast to do some Celtics talk, but we can't get in touch with him. Um, I've, I follow Bill Simmons on Twitter, and I think he, he's living in L.A. He says he can't figure out why anyone want to go to L.A. either because he doesn't see a lot of interest in a team in L.A. to, to, to bring a team there. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with this story. It'll be interesting. Did they take one team? Did they take two teams? And build a stadium and have two teams playing in L.A.? I mean, we see it in other sports. Will we see it in the NFL? Keep our eye out for it and react to it if it does happen. So uh, that's what we have in the world of the National Football League. On tomorrow's podcast, I will give my official NFL playoff preview and predictions. Now, they won't be predictions with the spread, but they will be predictions nonetheless. I'll give my entire playoff predictions with a Super Bowl winner. And um, on Friday, I'm going to give my picks with the spread. It's called Picks Picks. I do it every Friday during the NFL season. Um, what, I finish one game under 500 in the regular season, right? So uh, hopefully bounce back to 500 in the wild card round. I'll give my picks with the spread on Friday's podcast. But again, like I do every Wednesday, previewing the upcoming week in the NFL and the playoffs are here. It is the wild card round. I'll give my official NFL playoff preview and predictions on tomorrow's podcast on Wednesday. So uh, wrapping it up here, you can get this show whenever you want. I broadcast every weekday, dannypicard.com. Also subscribe to the Danny Picard Show on iTunes, the TuneIn app, Stitcher app, any app in which you can get a podcast on any phone or tablet that you have, you can search the Danny Picard show and subscribe. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard show. I'm on Instagram, all forms of social media. Once again, special thanks to Mike Hazen, Boston Red Sox, senior vice president and general manager for joining me earlier today over the phone. Uh, Great stuff from him. And that conversation was presented by Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to beantownathletics.com right now or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Beantown Athletics, also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back. Beantown Athletics. Dot com. I am out. Talk to you tomorrow.